fight card. It's the connection card. And so, uh, you know, the Lord has blessed us with so many wonderful uh, guests, first, second time uh, guests, and, and we uh, get to know you a little bit through this white card. So please fill that out. And if you have any uh, questions about the church you'd like to know, on the back there, you can uh, check a box and ask some information and we'll get We'll get that to you. For the rest of us, uh, fill that out and and use it as a prayer request or use it as a, a comment card. Sometimes people say, hey, uh, remember my phone number changed. Can you change that in the information system or my address changed, something like that. I've got a new email, whatever. So please uh, put that down, and then we'll make uh, make changes in our, in our church information system, okay? So thank you for that. And you can put that in the offering plate at the, at the end of the service. Um, let's sing this great um, reminder from, uh, the, these are relatively new songwriters, Matt Papa and uh, Matt Boswell, and they remind us, sort of like the old song, Grace Greater Than My Sin, that His mercy is more than my sin. Let's sing it together. What love can remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would we Mercy is greater than our sin. Well, there was a man who wrote over 6,000 hymns in the early 1700s. His name, Charles Wesley. One of his most beloved hymns is uh, And Can It Be. You're looking at the third verse 
And I want you to meditate on that for a moment because that's the verse that he used to basically explain how he believed his salvation took place. And he, he took that from uh, Acts chapter 12 where the apostle Peter is miraculously uh, saved from his imprisonment. It talks about a light coming into his life. He talks about, he talks about being bound in sin. He talks about um, uh, his chains falling off, his heart becoming free. And what is the result of all that? He rose and he followed Christ. And I, I pray that that is our, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Troy used to say this, anybody who is saved is saved the same way. That's biblical, amen? There is no plan B. And so uh, you think about your salvation, compare it to what Charles Wesley wrote. I pray it's very, very similar. Let's sing it together. Oh, 
please be seated. We're going to take the next few minutes uh, to just have a season of prayer. And um, we pray for needs around the world. We pray for our upcoming election as the United States of America. We certainly pray for any and all lost souls. You know, God is in the is in the business of saving souls. Amen. And and even in through the dark times, may, there may be a family who has just been ravaged by the coronavirus. But could that possibly be God's way of getting their attention to say, "You need me," and. And we just need to pray um, that, that God will, will get His salvation plan to a lost and dying world by any means necessary. Amen? So you be, you be in prayer, especially for those uh, close friends and family around you who need the Lord. And uh, you just use these steps as uh, prayer time, or you can just stay there and, be, and, and pray where you are. But let's just take a few moments. In our Ephesian study, you'll see this theme time and time and time again. Let's sing it. In Christ alone, my hope is found. This is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm from the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, where fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. In the death of Christ, I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious Rip on me, 
think about our upcoming study today, Chris Tomlin and Ed Cash wrote this song just recently. I love it. Uh, Just simple title, Jesus. But don't miss the very first opening segment, the very first phrase. It reminds us that there is a truth, God's holy word, that is older than the ages. Not a truth that is New Testament. Not a truth that is as old as the Old Testament a truth, a salvation, a gospel that was with God in the beginning. Amen? Before the foundations of the world, as as Scripture says. So with that in mind, let's sing it. There is a truth that's older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There Who stands in the fire beside me? 
heads and prepare our hearts to study God's word today. Meditate on that opening phrase that we just sang. There is a truth that's older than the ages. And that is the truth that God so desperately wants us to learn. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The Apostle Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians with an outburst of praise. When I read Paul, sometimes I think to myself, this guy never got over his salvation. Now we do. We have to check our minds and hearts in this regard. But Paul never got over his salvation. He was filled with awe and wonder that he himself would be an object of the grace of God and would thus be chosen by God. He knew his post-conversion life and he gives an autobiographical sketch of that. He was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a blasphemer. He knew that he himself was a hater of Christ. He stood there and held the garments of those who took off their cloaks in order to throw the stones at Stephen who becomes the first Christian martyr. We have no idea what God was doing in Paul's heart and mind at that point. But I think God was working in Paul's life. Paul knew what it was like for Christ to miraculously and sovereignly forever change him on the road to Damascus. Remember Galatians, Paul said, no one told me about Jesus. No one gave to me the gospel. How did Paul get the gospel? Directly from Jesus Christ. Jesus came to him and gave him the gospel and saved his soul. So Paul knew by personal experience, do you know by personal experience that you are in Christ Jesus today? Paul knew by personal experience, but he also knew by divine revelation. Why? Because what you're going to read today is given by the Holy Spirit of God. It is inspired and God breathed. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration. So not only did Paul know through personal experience that God had chosen him and he didn't deserve it, but he also knew by divine revelation from the Word of God that he was chosen by God. So this is the primary and very first blessing that Paul gives us in first in Ephesians 1 verse 4. And I say that to you so that you understand that Paul is praising God that he is chosen by God. Paul is praising God that he is among the elect, which is the word chosen. And so thus, it's the first and as a matter of fact, grammatically, it is the word that drives the entire sentence. So it is primary and first. It's important to note that election is grounds for all of us to give praise to God. This past week, this past weekend, I was in Alabama to perform a wedding ceremony. <clears throat> and the blessing of going back is always to see the saints, right? And many of the saints at Cropwell Baptist were present, a lot of them, at this particular wedding. And I was able to see Mr. Jerry Willingham. Let me tell you the backstory. I had been at Cropwell maybe six months, and one of my deacons came to me and said, Brother Philip, there's a man that comes to this church all the time, he and his wife, and he's in his early 70s and he doesn't know the Lord. He's been here for years. Good man, but doesn't know the Lord. And Mr. Horace was sensitive to the Spirit of God and knew this. And he said to me, I believe it's time and I believe God is drawing him. So we load up in the truck and we go over one evening and what an awesome display of the miraculous, sovereign, free grace of God to save Mr. Jerry Willingham's soul. And as I saw him this weekend on Saturday and got to visit with him, he said, my life has never been the same. That's what happens when you trust Jesus Christ. So we know that salvation ushers in the most radical changes that we could ever imagine, which should cause all of us to take inventory of ourselves and say, hey, has there been a change in my life? If there's no change, there's no truth. There's no tree. Uh, if there's no fruit, there's no tree. If there's no change, then there's no genuine salvation at all. It ushers in those miraculous changes. So we addressed several issues regarding the nature of election last week. Remember, we talked about the fact of election. Do you realize that we preached a sermon on three Greek words? He chose us. Just three. And we, we talked about what that means and the fact of election. In other words, we have a subject, a verb, and a direct object. In the basic uh, understanding of English, he chose us. Okay, And then we started dealing with the nature of election. And we dealt with several principles. And I'm going to pick up one of those again today. And that is the fact that the nature of our election is actually in Christ. And then the text goes on to talk about the uh, time of election. When was that? Before, the found, before God ever laid a cornerstone. Before God ever created the world. Any movement of creating, God shows you in Him. And then finally, the purpose of election. And we're going to see those two next week. To be holy and blameless before Him. And also, adoption. So... I had to remind myself as we're going through this text that we're not in a hurry. You don't need to be in a hurry, and I don't need to be in a hurry. 
When we're dealing with subject matter, when we're dealing with God-centered understanding of theology, we should take our time. So, again, election is a God-centered doctrine, and it's absolutely, it is an absolute necessity if anyone is ever to be saved. Because if it was left up to you, you would have never chosen Christ. It is an absolute necessity. Biblically, uh, we are in a position bound by the will in the bondage of the will, we're left to ourselves without the drawing power of the Holy Spirit and the electing love of God. There's no way possible, according to the Bible, that you left to yourself would have come to God on your own. Thank God for grace. Today I would like to finish that point. He chose us in Christ. Okay? Before the foundation of the world. So there it is. God chose us in Christ. And here's what I want you to do. Let's read beginning in verse 3 all the way down to verse 14. And I want you to hear the in Christ language. Okay? Y'all ready? Or the in Him language. This is so vitally important for our understanding of, to be able to grasp what the Bible says. So he, listen to the in Him or in Christ language. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Is it pretty obvious that that prepositional phrase, in him or in Christ, is vitally important. Again, prepositions move the world. Especially when you come to the word of God. So the emphasis upon the in him language is the dominant string upon Paul's guitar. There's no question about that. In him is vitally important. He chose us in him. Now to properly understand the doctrine of election, you need to understand this phrase, in him. Him. There is a clear and obvious fundamental truth that is conveyed through the language of in Him. Right? The choice was because of Christ. The choice was because of Christ. That is the language that is conveyed. He chose us how? In Christ. So, this is another huge plank that undergirds the reality that is not our merit or anything that God foresaw in us, but it was because of Christ that God chose 
us. This is one of the huge things that you read and think about when you see, well, he chose us in Christ. He actually chose you on behalf of someone else. Y'all see how rich that is. He didn't choose you because of you. He chose you on the account of someone else. He chose you in Christ. F.F. Bruce says this, Jesus is the foundation, origin, and executor. All that is involved in election and its fruit depends on Jesus. It depends on Christ. Peter O'Brien summarizes it well by saying election is always and only in Christ. We're not chosen because of anything in us. The terminology of union with Christ is crucial here. So we have to ask ourselves the question, isn't it fun to study the Bible? I feel the tension. I feel the tension as I read, and you feel the tension as you're sitting there. Okay, But it's the Word of God. Be okay with the tension. Be okay with attention because God uh, knows what he is doing. He knows what he's doing. Be okay with attention. So, what we hear here and understand with terminology, there has to be something in that phrase, in Christ. And what I want to submit to you is that that phrase has to do with union with Christ. In other words, to be in Christ means that a union was established in order for us to be in Christ. Christ. It's crucial language. What exactly does it mean for God to choose us in Christ? Well, the passage doesn't say that God chose you in, that God chose Christ, and thus, if you sometime down the line choose Christ, then you are the elect. That's not what that says. It says that He, before the foundation of the world, chose you in Christ, made a union before the foundation of the world. That's what the text actually says. So, the in Christ language is language of union with Christ. We will hear this language all the way through the book of Ephesians. Even in the marriage relationship that you have with your spouse, the Lord God Almighty is going to show you how your marriage is analogous to Christ's relationship to his church. That came first, not your marriage. Right? But you are living out that reality. Burkhoff once said, this union with Christ may be defined as that intimate Vital, spiritual, here it is, union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of our life. He is the source of our strength and of our blessedness and of our salvation. Now, I wrestle with trying to help you grasp what this means. And one way to grasp this principle of union with Christ is to look at a parallel scripture that speaks of another union that mankind has. Do y'all know of that union? Can you think of what that union is? Well, the union is our natural state united in Adam. Does anybody want to stand up in here and argue that you're united in Adam? Let me follow you down the road and I'll prove to you that you are. Right? Okay. So, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And let's talk about this incredible principle of union with Christ as seen as a parallel with union with Adam. I think it will help us understand election better. This passage reveals an inescapable reality. Adam stands as the head of the human race. Through this one man, Adam, his sin, sin entered into the world. So Adam's sin is the entry point of sin into the world. And not only sin, but also death. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now think about this for a moment. Through the entry point of sin comes death. How do we know that in Adam all sin? How do we know that all sinned in Adam? The logic is airtight. All die. Right, folks? All die. Unless you are alive and precede the coming of the Lord and the second coming, which I wrestle with that sometimes. Sometimes I'd like to be caught up, right, at the second coming. But I'd also like to see death conquered. Right? We die. And that is an absolute fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, thus conquering death. So Adam stands as our covenant representative. He stands as your federal head. We are all in union with Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned. Right? When Adam died, we died. Now move your eyes down the page of Scripture and look at verse 19. Chapter 5 of Romans. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 1 Corinthians tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is often referred to as the second Adam. All that Adam did to plunge mankind into sin, the entire human race, Jesus much more did and is coming to make us righteous. So, the passage passage is clear. It is through Adam's act of disobedience that we become sinners. His disobedience. Why? It's because you and I are born into this world in union with Adam. There's absolutely no way to escape that reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. I'll back up to verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. Praise God. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die... So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do y'all see those words, in Christ? Is there any difference between in Christ in Romans chapter 5 than in Christ that you are known in Him before the foundation of the world? Absolutely not. Okay? This is vital for us to see. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There was a theologian, scholar, slash primarily a poet that lived from 1572 to 1631. His name was John Donne, spelled D-O-O-N-E. You can look the guy up and, and read about him. Here's what he said. Adam sinned and I suffer. You ever thought about that? Thanks, Adam, right? Adam forfeited. I, excuse me, Adam sinned and I suffer. I forfeited before I had any possession or could claim any interest. I had a punishment before I was a being. And God was displeased with me before I was. I was built up scarce 50 years ago in my mother's womb, but I was cast down almost 6,000 years ago in Adam's loins. I was born in the last age of the world. But I died in the first. How and how justly do we cry out against a man that had sold a town or sold an army? And Adam, Adam sold the world. (sighs) That's not fair, is it? It's not fair one bit. But it's a reality. 
is an absolute reality. That you sinned in Adam and you died in Adam. Absolute reality given to us in the world, in the Word. So Adam is clearly displayed as our legal head in God's Word. Think about this. Adam's covenant violation with God, with the God of eternity, becomes our covenant violation with God. The Bible teaches that you are in union with Adam. The Bible also teaches that if you know Christ, hallelujah, you're in union with Christ. This is called the covenant of grace. So in the thinking of being in Christ, let's seek to understand this reality as presented in verse 4. The elect were chosen in Christ. That is, they were in union with Christ. And I know this is mind-boggling, but that's what the word of the living God says. Right? Blessed the Lord our God, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? And then we pick up verse 4. Just as, even so. In other words, he's saying, here they are. Here are the blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So in other words, this is certainly a legal or a federal union. All of our covenant and legal responsibilities rest upon Jesus. And all of his legal or covenant merits accrue to us. That's the terminology of union. The elect were given to Christ by the Father. Let me give you a fancy old word that might get you uh, a cup of coffee at McDonald's if you got 25 cents. This is called the Council of Redemption. That's what theologians refer to this as. We're not only chosen in Christ, but we are given to Christ. Let me give you some examples of this. If you would, turn over to John. Y'all like this Bible study? Y'all do? John chapter 17. Listen to the terminology. It's very essential. So I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the Son of God was gifted his people before the foundation of the world as a gift from God the Father. Chapter 17, verse 1. John 17, high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Chapter, nine, chapter 17, verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 24. Jesus' high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Terminology is key. Jesus over and over again refers to his own as those the Father had given him. The Lord Jesus Christ as the second Adam in time and space becomes our mediator, prophet, priest, king in his incarnation. Christmas is coming, right? We'll preach on that before too long, but he becomes our representative, the second Adam. He becomes our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep in the covenant commitment given to him by his father. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. What does that mean? You don't become a sheep because you come to him. You come to him because you are sheep. My sheep 
hear my voice, and they come to me. In eternity past, there is an aspect of your salvation that totally begins with God. God the Father gave to the Son the chosen, and the Son himself gives himself to the chosen ones to become their surety, to become their mediator and covenant representative. Christ would in turn become just like us. And he would live a life that you could have never lived, in absolute perfect obedience to his Father. Then he paid the penalty that you could have never paid. And at this point, remember that there is something called imputation. In other words, before you were ever a thought in anybody's mind except God's, Adam's sin was imputed to you. Right? You may say it's unfair. You may say it's unwanted. Yeah, we agree with all that. But the fact of the matter is, it is a reality that we sin and we die. So that sin was imputed to us because of our union with Adam. However, there is the, the uh, and in us, there is the accruement of liability. There is in all of us. Adam's death becomes our death. That's what happens. But in the covenant of grace, we have the same parallel. There is imputation. But instead of legal liability, as in Adam, there are legal benefits because we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is my wife's favorite verse in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, see the word? That's union. In him, we might become the very righteousness of God. Hallelujah. You know, there's no way to go to heaven apart from being righteous. And here's the deal. Not only were all of your sins imputed to Christ on the cross, but he in turn has imputed his righteousness to you. Hallelujah for the gospel. You have all legal benefits. Notice the imputation in this verse. Christ himself becomes sin. Whose sin, folks? It was our sin. As the Son of God comes into this world taking on human flesh, he becomes the second Adam, eventually giving up his life on Calvary's tree. And the Father legally takes all of our sin, imputes them into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that Christ is our legal representative, and he himself bears the penalty of our sins. Yet that's not all. The very righteousness of Christ is then imputed to your account. That's the gospel. Yes, sister. Amen. We should say amen to that. We become the righteousness of God in him. See the language? Please hear the legal benefits. Justification by faith alone in who alone? Christ alone. Justification is to be declared righteous in the high court of heaven. Aren't you thankful for justification? So through faith, we enter into this union with Christ spiritually and experientially. There's only one means by which you can be saved on this earth. It's by grace through faith. By faith, we enter into that spiritually and experientially. Although we were already in it legally and covenantally in eternity past, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world with the legal benefit Of being in Christ Jesus. Folks, do you see why Paul blessed God? Do you see why Paul begins this book with an outburst of praise to God? Because he was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So when Paul says that we are chosen in Christ, that is shorthand for saying that we are chosen in union 
with Christ. Keep this truth in the forefront of your mind when you think about being chosen by God. God chose you in Christ. God's choice of us was not based on upon any merit, not based on foreseen faith, not based upon the fact that he thought that we would one day live up to the task, but because of Christ and Christ alone are we saved. He chose you in Christ. Now, do you see why Paul blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? God chose you because of someone else, Christ. He is your covenant head, he is your mediator, and he is your very righteousness. We praise him for it. Number two, God chose you before the foundation of the world. So the nature of it, chosen in Christ, the time was before the foundation of the world. Now listen, if the truth that our election was in Christ, if that excludes merit on our behalf for God to have chosen us, well certainly, I think the time of our election strengthens it even more. When did this election take place? Before the foundation of the world. This expression denotes an eternity before time. We could translate it before the act of God laying the foundation. Where were you when God laid the foundation of the world? Were you actively planning out your life? Where were you? In reality, you were only in the mind of God and that was the only place you were. What a stunning reality. What can we say about this expression before the foundation of the world? Good biblical teaching looks at other understandings in the New Testament of language to find out exactly what we're dealing with here. Jesus used this same terminology in John 17. Let's go back over there. You say, preacher, you could just read the verse for us. No, I want you to see it on the page, right? There's something about seeing it in the text. Okay, Jesus used this very same expression often. Now, this is the only time Paul will use the word foundation. He'll use the word ages, time before, but foundation. Listen to chapter 17. We were just there, but look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus at that moment was standing in the upper room and he was giving the upper room discourse. He was praying for his disciples and you and me. But he says to the Father, glorify me in the relationship that we had before the world began. In other words, Jesus was, was in all of his glory before he came down to this earth. It also teaches and affirms the deity of Christ. He is coexistent and co-eternal with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So... There was a time in eternity past where this relationship with his father in glory looked different than it did the day he stood, speaking and praying in the upper room. Peter's going to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb without blemish. Notice it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Again, I have the luxury of marking these in my Bible before we come in. You don't. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to this. Well, verse 18 first. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now note verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, 
but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. When you read that, you think to yourself, I thought Jesus shed his blood a mere 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Folks, don't you understand that in the mind of the Father, there's never been a time when the Son has not shed his blood. His act, his person, and everything he was going to accomplish was foreknown by the Father before the ages ever began. That's the same terminology that is used in the mind of God. I love the old song. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Isn't that awesome? That's good stuff. And I agree. But I also believe it's more than that. Not only were you on his mind when he was on the cross, but you were on his mind before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. For the truth of God's word. Matthew 25, 34. Kind of a crescendo effect here in your own life. To see how this all fleshes out. Chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 34. End time events, right? Futuristic. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. It appears to me that the only person that was busy before the foundation of the world was God. What an awesome God we serve. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Let's get a running start. Verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. That kind of sounds like Ephesians 1, right? The purpose of our calling. Not because of our works but because of his own purpose of grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Uh, let's take time, if we can, uh, to, to put up, uh, Mike, the Baptist Faith and Message. Did we ever put that up there? Did we load it in? Um, yes, Baptist Faith and Message. I just want you to understand that it's not, a, it's not a, an accident that Baptists believe in election. No matter how you slice it or dice it, how you explain it, that's up to you. I hope you've studied the Word of God and you've come up with your own understanding, but I hope it's based upon the Scripture. We don't have to fight over this. I've just told you what the Bible says, okay? Election is the gracious purpose of God according to which He regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. Notice in this text of 2 uh, Timothy, it says purpose of grace. That's where that's borrowed, right? It is consistent with the free agency of man. Have you sliced that or diced that? Some of you in this room believe 100% in free will, meaning that on your own initiative, in your own free will, you believed in Christ. I don't have a problem with you if you believe that, okay? I don't have a problem with you if you believe that. All right, is, everybody, is this on record? Okay? But I do have a problem with you if you believe you can bring yourself to God. You cannot initiate your salvation. 
Only the ones who are drawn by the Father come to him. That's clear from the Bible, folks, okay? Let's just make sure that we're not man-centered in our theology. Uh, and it says free agency of man. In other words, people who say, well, God makes you a robot. God never saves an individual against their will. God conditions your will so that you see the beauty of Christ, and you're going to come to him because he's awesome. All right? That's just the way it is. And then the Bible says, and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. In other words, God did this before the foundation of the world. He procures it in time and space, and he's going to hold you all the way to the end of time. Okay? It is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness, and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. Haven't we been talking about those things? That is your Baptist faith and message. That's what we believe as Baptists regarding the doctrine of election. It is called the purpose of grace. Maybe you didn't know that you were a member of a church that believed that. But that's what your Baptist faith and message actually says to us. So, I sure pray that this expression before the foundation of the world etches in your heart and mind the truth that God has a plan. We've been uh, considering remodeling you know, everything that's old here, right? Because, you know, you know how the, the south side was, you know, we've been considering those things. But we also have a need for a clothing closet outside of our church in a freestanding building. We've got a need for a bus bar. We've we got this need. So we've been talking about these things. And let's say that we're dealing with Danny Bearden. He's sitting in here. He's a contractor. And we don't have any plans. We just say, you know what, Danny? We just want you to go out there in the parking lot and pour some concrete. And then, furthermore, go ahead and hire the framers and let them start framing. Well, Danny, what, what's it gonna, we don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. We don't really know what the blueprint is. We're just going to fly by the seat of our pants, and we'll eventually get this thing done. Folks, aren't you thankful that God has a plan? And it's according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't do all things and then find out what his will is. He has his blueprint from the foundation of the world. It is unchangeable. It is his blueprint for all things. And he's working out that counsel of his will. Folks, do you walk in that reality that God is sovereign over your life? This text gives meaning to your life. If God is so sovereign that he would choose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, what about your tribulations? What about the coronavirus? What about the loss of a parent like I witnessed with my dad? What about a loss of children? If you are God's people, your tribulations, your trials, your valleys, your sorrows, your joys, your ups, and your downs are all in God's sovereign plan. And you can trust him. Folks, you can trust him because your life has meaning. You are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible understanding. Small details are important. What if we build this building out here and, and we forget to put the bathrooms in there? Now, that may sound like a small detail, but until you have to go to the restroom, that's not a small detail. But I want to remind you of something. In the grand scheme of things, building a building, the bathrooms would not be right up at the top. Well, in our church, they probably are, Right? Because of what, the condition they're in. But the deal is, God knows all the minor details. And he absolutely leaves nothing out. Just hear the strength of this in the book of Ephesians. 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Don't you understand that God is absolutely sovereign? Our God knows what He is doing. Our Jason Crabb sings a song about, if I could take, I think it's someone who has cancer, if I could take that from you, that's what I would do. But our God, He knows what He is doing. This text talks about wisdom. There are things in the mind of God that we will never, ever even come close to grasping. And when it comes to election, you got to leave this to an all-wise God who makes no mistakes, who does all things according to his wisdom. Spurgeon was conversing with a lady in his church about this very doctrine, and he proceeded to ask her what she thought about the doctrine of election. And she said, Mr. Spurgeon... It's a good thing that God chose me before the foundation of the world because if he would have waited until after I was born, he would have never done it. That's the way I feel, folks. When you understand the magnitude of your sinfulness, you were loved and chosen before the foundation of the world. John Flavel once said, What an ancient friend he has been to us. What words. Who loved us, provided for us, and contrived all of our happiness before we were, yea, before the world was. God is free. God is sovereign. You were chosen in Christ, and it's totally outside of you. It's not from the sight that you were deserving in any way whatsoever. God Almighty, through, through free and sovereign grace, grafted you and adopted you into his family. And if you're saved today, it's because God knew you and loved you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And by that purpose, you have meaning in your life. What an awesome truth. Again, it's revealed in order to be an anchor for your soul. And we say, well, what about the negative side of election? I don't have to preach that because it's not in there. It's not in this text. What is in this text is that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That's what's in this passage. And here's the the easy way I'll say it regarding the world. Who Who are the ones that are saved? Those who believe the gospel. And who are the ones who are lost? Those who continue in unbelief. Anybody want to argue with that? If you continue in unbelief and never believe the gospel, then you're lost. But if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are saved. But the glory of this text just reminds us that God was at work in you and for you. Before you were ever on the scene, God Almighty had you in his mind. That's the glory of election. I hope this has gives you meaning and significance in your life. And you say, well, pastor, I believed on my own. And I say to you, that's okay. And you did believe the gospel if you are saved. But I just want to remind you of one thing as we close this sermon out. And that's found in the book of Philippians. If you'll make your way there. Just want to show you one thing. So you give God more praise and glory. Chapter 1, verse 29. He uses a Greek word, ek ariste. It means granted. And notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 29. You may not like some of this verse, but you should like the other part. Listen. For it has been granted. In other words, that means you have been, uh, you have gloriously been granted something. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only. Do you know that your belief in Christ is granted to you gloriously? But you may not like this one, but also to suffer for his sake. And we say, who in America are we really suffering for his sake? You've been granted, gloriously given two things, belief 
and suffering. And suffering for his name's sake. I hope that the words chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, when you wake up tomorrow morning, it gives meaning to your life. That's why Paul gave it. That's why there was an outburst of praise. Now, I I told everybody, I told Rod right there, I said they took five minutes when they came out, I'm going to get five minutes back. (laughs) And I did, isn't that funny? And of course, y'all wouldn't think anything else, right? That I would get that. All right, to God be the glory. I hope it brings meaning to your life, chosen in Christ. Fly that banner. We like to list all the things out. Redeemed, forgiven, loved, predestined. We like to list those out. Why do we skip chosen? Why do we skip that? Folks, it's first and primary on the list. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. And we love you. And Father, we thank you that the only mind that was working before the foundation of the world was a holy and omniscient God who knows all things. We trust you, Lord God, that you know exactly what you are doing. But this text is designed not to stress us out, not to anger us. This text is designed for us to give you praise that you chose us in you before the foundation of the world. To God be the glory. Amen. Uh, Just a reminder that we, we start back with Sunday school on the 25th. I hope everyone has gotten their info about where your class will meet and the time you will meet. Um, if you don't attend Sunday school, I would encourage you to come at the 9 o'clock, okay? For space reasons. We'd like for you to be in Sunday school, but please come at 9 because that, the 9 o'clock crowd is going to go down. If you know senior adults that are apprehensive and haven't been back, encourage them to come back on the 9 o'clock service because there's going to be fewer people in here, okay? You can distance better at the 9 o'clock, okay? So uh, if you have any questions, please hit James up, Don, myself, Chris, any of us, and we'll try to help you know the schedule for restarting Sunday school, okay? Love each one of you. I'll be down the hallway. God bless. You know, lesser pastors from the state of Georgia would have allowed what happened 12 hours ago to kill their exuberance and enthusiasm, but you did not. Praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's stand together and, uh, and sing this. You walk on the waters. You walk on the waters. You speak to the sea. You stand in the fire beside me. You roar like a lion. You bled as a lamb. You carry my healing in your hands. God bless you. Have a great week.